0: Take your Bibles, Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. I got I got my work cut out for me tonight. I hope I'm up to it. I got my work cut out for me tonight. Got a lot to do and a little time to do it. Years ago, I preached a seven sermon series on the millennium. Through my one of my major studies as being a Christian and being a preacher. And being in college, one of my favorite areas of study was eschatology, things to come, prophecy. A lot of the Bible is prophecy. Half of all the prophecy in the Bible has been fulfilled literally. Half. It makes sense if the first half of the prophecy that has been fulfilled literally has been fulfilled that way, that the second half will be fulfilled the same way. And so we take this passage in chapter 20, verse 1 through 10, literally, just the way it reads. And by the grace of God, he'll help us tonight. God will be vindicated in the end. Does it bother you that God is misrepresented? Does it bother you that God is, that there are so many people saying things in Jesus' name on the internet and in churches that Jesus told them to say this and Jesus said told them to say that. And I say, obviously against the word of God. and obviously it's not right. And yet they get away, it seemed like they get away with it, you know. They get up there and said, God told me to do this and, you know, God wants me to have a third jet. The guy out in Texas, I won't name his name because I can't remember it. That means I'm not bitter. If you can't remember the guy's name, I'm not bitter, right? That does make sense. There's a guy in Texas, who's been around forever. He's a false prophet. He has two learjets, and he had a, he said they weren't big enough, he had to buy a third one. And we're talking to own three at one time. It'd be nice if the Calvary Quartet just had one Learjet. jet. You know, just be able to jump in, don't go through customs, don't put the really drain, just boom, get out of there and get somewhere. It's just horrible what. Jim Baker did to the church. He raped and pillaged the the church. There have been people like that through all the centuries. Jesus said many false prophets are going to come after me. There will be many people like this. He didn't give us any uh, illusion about it. But God in the end is going to be vindicated. All the false rumors, false accusations, hard speeches, the unsaved and unbelievers have created against God are going to be proven false. Let me give you a little sampling out of the book of Jude. It says in Jude, uh, there's only one chapter, okay. Jude, verse 8, it says, uh, Likewise also filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Verse 10, But these speak evil of those things which they know not. Verse 15, To uh it says, to execute ju- judgment upon all and convince all that are, un- uh, that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Verse 16, there are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts. In their mouth they speaketh great swelling words. They're smart. No vocabulary. Verses 18, 19. How that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves sensual. I didn't say sexual. I said sensual. They care about the senses. We should care a whole lot more about the Holy Spirit than we care about the way we feel. The senses. They being sensual, having not the spirit. Verse 20 of 2 Peter chapter 2. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh, lusts unclean, despise government. Presumptuous are they, self willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Again, that's the second time. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. But these as natural brute beasts, what you saw over with Hamas was of men getting worse than beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Verse 18 and 19 of Second Peter chapter 2. When they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh and through much wantonness those that are clean escape from them who live in error. On and on it goes. On and on. God is going to be vindicated after the seven years of the tribulation period where the people that are saved during the tribulation period, and there will be, people wonder, are there going to be anybody saved in the tribulation period? They're they're going to be saved. So many people are going to be saved in the tribulation period that they're without number as the sand of the sea. That's what the Bible says. Going to be hundreds of thousands, millions, millions, I can safely say that, be born from above in the tribulation period. But they're going to be driven. They're going to be murdered. They're going to be beheaded. They're going to be shamed. They're going to be scorned. They're going to be mocked. They're going to be laughed at. They're going to be uh, persecuted. But God will vindicate them in the end. For a season, it will look like God's forsaken the righteous in the tribulation period. It will look like evil's winning as the beast rises up with his false prophet, doing miracles deceiving the people. It looks like evil has triumphed and there is no God. They may cry that Christ was a false prophet and God is dead. I don't know, but they'll say something like that. The evil will cry. They'll laugh so hard when they say, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Where are all the promises of the Bible now? Where's God now? They'll quote scripture about God watching over his people as they behead them and laugh. Throughout the ages, in time pockets, evil has thrived. Dark ages being one of them, and it played itself out. The millennial period, the thousand years where Christ is going to rule and reign on this old earth, and boy, I'm looking forward to that. It will answer once and for all. All the questions will be settled during the millennial period. All the mockings that they've put forth will be answered. And all the laughing on the part of evil people will stop. Getting Satan out of the way for a thousand years that's what begins the millennial period. Would man be evil without the devil? Would he? Did the devil really make you do it? Remember that? The devil made me do it? How much is on the devil's plate? How much blame can we put on the devil for the world that we have today? The works-based religionists has said that basically man's good, if he was put in a right environment, a good environment, that men would do good. They just need, they need a better circumstance. They need better encouragement. That's what circumstantial psychology, which is false, by the way, that's what it propagates. If the surroundings get good around man, he'll do good. But that's not what the Bible says. Let's look at Revelation chapter twenty, verses one through three. I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. How many years a thousand years? A thousand three hundred sixty-five 365-day years. Take it literal, just for what it says. And cast him in the bottomless pit and shut him up, set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. After that he must, that's an interesting statement, he must be loosed for a little season. There's reasons for that because the devil is going to answer the question, is going to help God put to shame all the people that have questioned him. Some of the answers from this event, which I just read through these verses, is there are angels that are stronger than the devil. Some people think the devil's a. Now he may have been the he may have been the angel of music, and I think he was. He may have been a glorious angel to look at of beauty, no doubt about it. But he's not the strongest angel because an angel grabs him, puts a chain on him, and casts him in the bottomless pit. That means there's angels that are stronger than he Satan is not all-powerful. He's not all-present. Satan cannot get away from God. He cannot hide from him. None of Satan's followers can break the seal that this angel puts upon him as he's in the bottomless pit. None of his demons, none of his other angels that fell with him can help him get out of the bottomless pit. So we see who really is the strongest. The great angel that takes him and puts him into the bottomless pit, I see six things things about that. Number one, he lays hold on Satan, he binds him, he casts him, he shuts him up. He sets a seal on him and will someday loose him. As we see in these verses, the first three verses, it's the first mention of the exact length of the millennium. Now, I've studied a lot about the millennium, and I preached, like I said, seven sermons at taking the millennium teaching from the Old Testament into the New Testament. It's, man, the millennium spoken about all over the Old Testament. It's looked forward to by the Old Testament saints, going way back, and so they look forward to this time of peace, this time when tranquility would rule this whole world, and the lamb would lay with the uh, we used to say the lamb with the lion, the 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 animal, the basically the animals that eat each other would lay together, not eat each other. Kid would play on a on a serpent's uh, den, brother Ernie, wouldn't even bother him. But we see for the first time. 1,000 years is mentioned six times in this passage, six times, exact number. You don't know that anywhere else in the Bible. You get that from Revelation chapter 20. The coming, coming kingdom of God is mentioned many, many times throughout the Old Testament by Christ and the writers of the New Testament, reference to a future time of peace and prosperity under Christ, as I said. Six things, six times in this short passage, a 1,000 is mentioned. So we take it in its literal, normal sense, interpreting the Bible. The only way to have a repeatable doctrine throughout the ages is to take it in its literal sense. If you take the Bible allegorically or symbolically or encrypted in any way in your interpretation, you open up a Pandora's box of possibilities with no two people agreeing on prophecy. I have a lot of old commentators, and they're phenomenal. They're just tremendous in interpreting Scripture, except when it comes to prophecy. They're just no good. They take prophecy allegorically. They take all the rest of the Bible, literally, and it's great. You can get a good, clear meaning of them. But you you try to look at them in the prophecy, and they, and what's crazy about allegorical interpretation is No two people are going to agree on the outcome. But if you take the Bible literally, a thousand years from now, there will be people believing it just like I believe it. And you go a thousand years back, and there's people that believe it just like we believe it because they take it just in its normal, natural, literal sense. As I said before, 50% of all prophecy has been literally fulfilled. Let's just stick with it. I believe that's the way it is. Look at verse 4 through 6. The hope of the resurrection explained. And I saw thrones, and they that sat on them. Now, I think that's going to be the apostles. You can say what you want on that. But he told the apostles they would sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 nations of Israel. I. This is very coincidental, if that's not them. And he saw thrones, and they sat on them, and the judgment was given unto them. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God, and they worshiped not the beast. Those are the people in the tribulation period Neither his image, neither have they received his mark upon their foreheads and in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Obviously speaking about the born-again Christians that were killed after the rapture in the tribulation period. He said the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, and such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. <clears throat> what can we learn from these verses four through six? Well, we see the resurrection of the tribulation saints in verse four there. These tribulation saints are a group of special people who suffer like no other generation has suffered. Uh, at the, and finally coming to the end of the tribulation with, and they get a special reward. If you look in chapter 7, verse 14 through 17, let me read about him. It says, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, uh, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they there before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. That is a high privilege. Glory to God. He tells, he tells the churches in chapter 2 and 3. One church, he says, Be faithful unto death, I'll give you a crown of life. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither the sun light upon them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them and shall unto living waters, of, fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. It just simply doesn't get better than that. There are different groups of people that will dwell in Christ, with Christ, throughout eternity. Let me try to straighten up a confusion here. There's a group from Adam to Abraham, that group of people. Were there saved people from Adam to Abraham? There were saved people. We call those the pre-Israel people. Those are the people before Israel was formed. Israel was formed in Jacob, right? That was after Abraham. So what happens to those people? They died. What happens to them? Well, there were were righteous people among them, people that loved God, were saved. By the way, I believe everybody got saved by the blood of Christ. I believe they got saved by the blood of Christ looking forward to the crucifixion. And the people, the last person that's ever saved is going to look back on the blood of Christ and be saved by the blood. Nobody gets into heaven without Jesus. Now, they may not have understood him in the way we understood him, But they look for the one that would crush the head of the serpent, which was promised in Genesis 3.15. The blood of Jesus Christ is what it takes to get into heaven, period. Nobody gets in on good works. Nobody. You can't make it on good works. So you have the group, number one, Adam through Abraham. That's pre-Israel. Second group is Abraham to the church. That's Israel because he started with Abraham. That's also called Jehovah's wife. Then you have the church in Christ, and that's the bride of Christ. That's three groups of people. Then you have the tribulation saints, those people that are born again during the tribulation and die during the tribulation. Uh, these are special. They have a special place with Christ. I just read it to you. And then you have the group of people that go into the millennium. I believe or, or everybody ended going into the millennium saved people. That's my opinion on that. Uh, the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25. but. They're going to birth people, and there's going to be a lot of birthing going on in, in the millennial period. There's going to be people that are birthed in the millennial period, and those people need to get saved. And some of them will be saved, but not all of them will be saved, as we found out, or we will find out down the road here. So this makes up all the believers in Christ from creation to the last believer, the last person saved. From that last person to the first... i Personally, my opinion is Adam and Eve were saved. I think Adam and Eve got saved. I think they, they, they were considered that group. And so you got Adam and Eve. Those are going to be five specific groups I find in scriptures that are going to be with Christ in heaven. And the Bible talks about them reigning with Christ. It talks about them being priests of Christ, enjoying the fruits of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us. So let me give you uh, to help you maybe understand this a little better. Walvoord wrote a tremendous book on the Book of Revelation, page two ninety seven. Here, let me read what he says: The tribulation saints are also declared to reign with Christ a thousand years. This has troubled some who have considered the church as properly reigning with Christ, which implies the saints of other ages will be subject to the ki- will be subject to the kingdom. It should be evident from this passage that others will share places of prominent rule with the church as the body of Christ in the millennium, kingdom, as revealed in verse 6. He says, and I'm going to give you a little bit more of his insight on page 299 of that same book. He said, if the church is afforded the special place of being the bride of Christ and reigning in this scene, in this sense, I should say, other resurrected people will also reign and enjoy privileges and rewards. They will apparently not only share in the political aspects of the kingdom, but also in the religious life. For they are declared to be priests of God and of Christ, a designation of a privileged rank similar to that which the church enjoys in this present age under Christ as our high priest. Does that make sense to you? So let's look at, let's look at verse 5 and 6, the subject of the first resurrection. The rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished This is the first resurrection. Very misunderstood here. Blessed and holy is he that hath parted in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. It is clear that the first resurrection cannot be a reference to order or to sequence. It's not first, meaning first, second, third, fourth, fifth. The first is a kind of resurrection. Can you get that in your head? It's not one, two, three, four, five. The first resurrection. if you aren't part of the first resurrection, you're not going to be part of heaven. So to be part of heaven, you got to be part of the first resurrection. It doesn't mean the first in number it doesn't mean the first in sequence. it means the first in kind. It's a kind of resurrection, not a number. We see that one of the first stages, and the first resurrection has various stages to it. There's going to be more than one resurrection. It's going to be a resurrection, and I'll show you what it is in a minute here. Matthew 27, 52 says, And the graves were opened, Jesus had been crucified, and uh, and resurre- And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Who were these people that were resurrected at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some believe this was a resurrection and emptying of of the paradise side of Hades. I hope I'm not too complicated for you. But everybody that died before the resurrection of Christ went to a place called Hades, which had two sides, paradise and, of course, the side of suffering. There was a great gulf of fix. We know that from Luke 16, from the rich man and Lazarus. We get a real insight into that whole place, a real description of the place. He was suffering. He was thirsty. He wanted he wanted Lazarus to dip his finger in some water and give him a little bit of water. He, would, he said, please go back and help my brothers. He knew his brothers weren't there somehow. He knew that they hadn't died yet. Uh, he knew that they were going to go there if they didn't get right with God, didn't get saved. And so he still cared about souls. That's interesting. He saw far off Lazarus, and the, uh, he saw the rich man, and Lazarus together there, which was a, a poor man that died on his property, uh, and he, and he and they were on, they were in, in in not in suffering, they were in comfort and being comforted. And so there that there was a paradise side. Everybody that was saved, I believe, from Adam all the way to, to that point before the resurrection of Christ, were on the paradise side of Hades. They died and went and wait awaiting their judgment. And then there were those who went to the hell side of Hades, which again are being held there awaiting their judgment. Nobody's been judged yet. The church has not been judged yet. The saints of God have not been judged yet. That's at the judgment seat of Christ. That has not happened yet. And the wicked have not been judged yet. In fact, they're not going to be judged till the very end of the millennial period. It'll be at the end of the millennial period that the wicked, all the wicked have ever lived, will stand before the great white throne and be judged by who? The one who died for them. Jesus Christ. The one who died for them. The Bible says Jesus is a judge of the living and the dead. Being dead means, of course. There's there's a lot of implications in all this that's been said here. Being dead does not mean a cessation of consciousness. The world would like to believe that when you died, you ceased to exist. They would love that, especially that guy that just killed 18 people. When he shot himself, and and it saved us a lot of money by doing that. When he shot himself, he, he sealed his fate. He thought he was going to get away with it, but as soon as he pulled the trigger, a man, an angel came, gathered his soul, took him to where the rich man is and has been almost 2,000 years, and put him where the rich man is, awaiting his future judgment. He's not gotten his judgment yet, he's in Hades awaiting it. Oh, my, 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 my. I feel so sad for people who commit suicide. So sad. They think they're escaping when when in essence they're sealing their doom. Don't do it. So we see this would, uh, if this is true, and I believe it is, this resurrection at Jesus' time, when he was resurrected, would go along with the Old Testament illustration of the, Feast of First Fruits, where at the Feast of First Fruits they took a handful of grain and was an offering and a token uh, at the harvest time of the good things God had given them. Whatever the case, this resurrection in Matthew that we just read uh, is a genuine first stage of the first resurrection. The second stage of the first resurrection is the rapture. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, 18. We've talked a lot about that, and most born-again believers in independent fundamental churches know all about the rapture, so I'm not going to spend any time on it. So there'll be a resurrection then. Third resurrection of the first resurrection will be at the end of the tribulation period. And there is no mention of a resurrection at the end of the millennial period but that does not exclude one because i've had people tell me what happens to the saints what happens to the people in, in the the die in the, in the millennium and there will be people dying in the millennium even though they're going to be old they're going to live uh, the millennial period is going to be returning to live the 900 years 800 years 900 years people are going to live a long time if if you died a 100 years you're going to be considered a child And so the restoration, the way it was in the garden, is going to be, there'll be other things changed like it was in the garden. Uh, Animals won't kill each other, etc. I mean, a lot of good things. Jesus is going to rule and reign. We're going to have righteousness cover the world like the waters cover the sea. Man, you want to get excited about the coming millennium, it's going to be good. Oh, man. So all these stages are the first resurrection. They have eternal, and those in the first resurrection get eternal life and are not under the power of the second death. So if you're born twice, you only have to die once. If you're only born once, you must die twice. All others who miss the first resurrection stand at the end of the millennium at the great white throne judgment and answer for their sins and their works and are cast into the lake of fire to pay for their sins. Reasons for eternal punishment. What are some of the reasons for eternal punishment? Partially for punitive reasons, to punish them for being wicked. Partially because they're unchangeable. If you take your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 26, verse 10, I'm sorry about going long, but i got to finish this. Isaiah 26, 10. Let favor be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness he will deal unjustly and he will not behold the majesty of the Lord. What's that verse say in Isaiah there? It basically says if you take an unsaved person and you put him in heaven, he won't obey. Give him a perfect environment. Take the devil away, and he won't obey because he hasn't been transformed by the renewing of his mind. He hasn't been blood-bought bought, blood bought and, and birthed by the Holy Spirit and he cannot, will not obey the things of God. Basically, if you take him to heaven, he's going to ruin heaven. There has to be a hell for those who rebelled against God because sin is infective by nature, and if it was allowed to roam in God's universe, it will destroy and maim what God has made, and God will not allow that to continue on past the millennium. They're going to be relegated in a place called the Lake of Fire where they will be tormented day and night without rest. Man, that's tough. I didn't write it. That's just tough. Forever and ever and ever. There's people out there trying to say there's an end to hell. Not that I've ever read in the Bible. No end to it. If there's an end to hell, there's an end to heaven. I can tell you that. If there is an end to hell, there's an end to heaven. Understanding the nature of God and His desire that none should perish but that all should come to repentance will help us here. If these souls would repent, God would have saved them. But because they did not, shows in essence they would not under any circumstances turn to Christ. And they must be cast into hell to preserve the kingdom of God. I think about I think about the flood people a lot. I think about the flood people. They lived a long time. And there was only eight of them that chose God. Now, Henry Morris said there could have been 25 billion, billion people on the earth. Brother... Cronin did a number. He did some mathematics. He's good in math. He said there could be 65 billion. I don't know, but it took a lot of organic material to make all the oil. Because God buried that generation two miles down. Actually, 14,000 feet where a lot of the oil was found. Buried them. Our God said in the Bible in 1 Peter 3, 9, that he's not willing that any should perish. If they could have been saved, he would have saved them. But they were unsavable. They were reprobated. They didn't want God in their thoughts. Romans chapter 1, you can read that. They didn't want him in their thoughts. They didn't want him, so he said, finally he said, okay, I'm going to give you over, give you over, and give you up under a reprobate mind. And he brought the floods in and destroyed them all, except for eight people. Wow. So then we see verse 7 why is Satan loosed? And when a thousand years are expired, Satan should be loosed out of his prison. Four reasons for being loosed. Number one, to demonstrate that man, under almost perfect conditions, will choose sin if given the chance, without being born again. Number two, the power and knowledge of God in predicting and fulfilling exact prophecy. God fulfilled the prophecy. In fact, it says in uh, Revelation 19.10, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Do you understand there's no religion in the world with a book like this? Nobody, nobody, nobody has prophecy like the Christian church has like the people that believe in Christ has. So much, so detailed, so absolutely clearly fulfilled with evidence. Nobody has it. We've got a unique book. This book is not one of many books. This is a unique book of all the books. Thirdly, to demonstrate the incurable wickedness of Satan and unregenerate men. So Satan is bound for a 1,000 years. You would think Satan being in the, a, in a, he likes light. He likes to be around. He goes between heaven and earth, travels around, walks over around the earth. He deceives whole nations. He's powerful. He's got a whole crew working for him. Uh, he's going to be bound, put in isolation in total darkness, the bottomless pit. I think that's going to be really bad for him. I think he's going to suffer a lot during those one, almost, almost a 1,000-year period of time. If he was redeemable, don't you think that that would help him get maybe a spirit of repentance about him, but he's not redeemable? That's what it teaches us. Lastly, that's done to justify the eternal nature of punishment in hell by showing the unchanged nature of man in a perfect environment. Finally, and I'm coming to the end, hang on. Verse 8 through 10, and shall go out, Satan's released, he goes out to deceive the nations for in the four quarters of earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle the number of whom are as the sand of the sea. That's how many people turn against Jesus with a perfect environment, with a situation very similar to the Garden of Eden, with him as king, and they went up the breadth of the earth to compass the camp of the saints about, beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. He doesn't mess with them. And the devil to deceive them was was taken again by an angel, cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, are present tense. They're two humans: the beast and the false prophet are human, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever, no cessation of consciousness. Who's Gog and Magog? Well, I think it's just the name of a, of a leader and the and his people. It is the same names used in Ezekiel 38 and 39, coincidentally, but I believe talking about different groups. There's too many differences for them to be the same if you do a study on that. We see immediate, God immediately retaliates on them when they come up, just like he did Solomon and Gomorrah when they come up against that city. And then finally, then boy, this will be a glorious day for eternity when the devil finally meets his doom. The strongest and clearest wording in the Greek is used for the description of the suffering when it says they're tormented day and night. Ages upon ages, that's actually the Greek. Ages upon ages, forever and ever. Wow. I don't think it can be clearer than this. Our God is a consuming fire. I thank the Lord the day that the devil is thrown into the, the evil ones thrown into the lake of fire. That's a glorious day. For all the suffering that you see over in Gaza right now, and the suffering in the world, and the unrest in the world, and the suffering in every major city in the world tonight is because of, of sin and the devil. I'm going to be glad when it's over. What about you? I'm going to say glory, hallelujah. I'm glad he, God gave us this information. We're the only ones that know how this thing's going to end and how things are going to be. We should kick our heels together. In the midst of suffering, you can make it true knowing this kind of stuff. You can make it true for a while because there's glory in the end. May the Lord help us as we look at Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 through 10. Father in heaven, thank you tonight for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the Bible. I pray, Father, you'd help us to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. That, Like Joshua was encouraged there in Joshua 1, we'd be not dismayed, we'd be not discouraged, no matter what happens in our lives, no matter how God chooses to let the thing go down or no matter how it goes down, if we would trust in you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. A couple verses, just as I am, without one plea. Sorry about going long. It's important to keep that in one teaching. Maybe God's touched you on some area of life that God, the Holy Spirit, moved in your heart. Well, we're here for you. We'd love to pray with you. If you don't know Christ your Savior, we'd love to tell you how to be saved. Watching by Internet, watching by Facebook, wherever you're at. You can get saved right in your room, right where you're at. If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I go to people's houses, so going door to door sometimes, and they, they speak Spanish, and I don't speak the language. They don't speak English. And I'll say, Jesucristo, and I'll do this right here. Jesucristo. And, and it's, instinctively, it's amazing to me. Spanish people go, Jesucristo. I got him in my heart. I got him in my heart. I hope it's so. You have Jesucristo. You have Jesus Christ in your heart tonight. You know what? and the Lord help you. You come. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church, Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at two three nine nine four seven one two eight five. Thank you, and God bless.